Good morning, Orchard. We are glad you were here today. I mean, when you show up here in the building and you smell the bacon, it's going to be a good day, right? And if you're joining us online, you missed out. But the best part about bacon before church is that if you put your mask back on, you can smell bacon the whole service. And um, that's not the spirit moving. That still is the bacon. But we're praying the spirit would move anyways, right? Let me tell you some stories. When I was growing up, you know, I grew up in the mountains of Redstone, in between Redstone and Marble, and, 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 and going on your first camping trip without mom and dad was a big deal. And we were pretty young, and I decided, you know, we're going to do this. And so we built a tree fort in the back of the, up on the Powskis Hill. And, and, you know, have you ever had a tree fort that dad didn't help with? It's a great idea, but have you ever tried to sleep in it? Well, we were up there sleeping, and, and, and I don't know if I want you to leave this service and Google what a mountain lion screech sounds like. Because there we were sleeping in this tree fort when it sounded like a woman uh, was screaming bloody murder. And it was probably about seven and a half minutes later we arrived back at his house. And, you know, not too much longer, more of us boys got together and we're like, this, we're going to do this. And so it was up, um, in, up, up toward Marble, up this zigzag road, and we hiked up there and we set up camp. We set our tents up, had the fire going no dads, no moms. We were doing this. We were tough. And the sun went down, and it must have been midnight. It was probably like 7.45. And, um, you know, I'm, I can't tell you the whole story of what happened, but, but we arrived back at the Badgett's house, um, and, and Mrs. Badgett had two big, huge uh, plates of chocolate chip cookies and plates for each of us at the dinner table. And she goes, welcome back, boys. Somehow she knew we weren't going to make it. I mean, you know, there's always this thing as you're growing up about getting more independent, you know? And there's the, there's the excitement of it, and there's also this kind of anxiety of you, as you have these growth gates of independence. Do you remember when you got your driver's license, and you got to drive without mom and dad for the first time, and then the first time you got pulled over? I mean, what about this? When you turned, when you went off to college, I remember my parents drove me to Texas, dropped me off, and left me there. And I was so excited and anxious. It was the strangest thing. All these growth gates of growth, and then you grow up, and, and you get a job, and then you get married and, and you have to live with somebody and now you're in charge of much more than you thought you were. And then I remember the day when the nurse handed me a baby and said, okay, you can go home. And I remember thinking, well, you only showed me one video <laughs> and it said, don't shake it. I mean, where's part two about how to raise this thing, you know? Like, I mean, there's this, it's, it's increasing independence is an important thing in our society, right? It's important. Well, today we're going to talk about spiritual maturity. You know, last week we, we talked about Nicodemus and being born again. And for some of you who missed it, perhaps you, you, you received salvation with Jesus decades ago, maybe in your youth or at camp or wherever you were. Maybe it was many of you last week um, received Jesus. But, but the goal is this. Remember, salvation is the starting line. Salvation isn't the finish line. And we want to see spiritual maturity in our lives between the day that we meet Jesus in our hearts here on earth and the day we meet Jesus face to face in heaven. Between those two meetings, the goal is spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And so today we're going to talk about three spiritual growth gates for spiritual maturity. Because here's the deal. As individuals, we want to grow in our faith, deeper roots in, in God and who he is. Because I don't know about you, but 2020 revealed for many of us where our faith may be weak. And so I want to grow a faith that has deep roots so that no matter what life brings me in the future, I have peace in the storm. But I'm not, I'm not sliding into anger and frustration that I can, 
I have faith for those things. And so spiritual growth is important. And if you're here with us for the first time, you know, we're in the book of John. We've been studying the book of John, and we're at the end of John 3. And we're going to turn our attention back to John the Baptist. Now, he's called John the Baptist, not because he wears a tie and loves church casseroles and potlucks and doesn't drink. He's called John the Baptist because, shocker, he baptizes people. This was his thing. He would give a baptism for repentance to prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. You earn the name John the Baptist by doing one thing, and he does it really well. And so we find in John 3.22, John is doing his thing, but he's getting some competition. Verse 22, Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went off to the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time there baptizing people. And on the surface, this sounds like Jesus is the one out in the water baptizing and dunking people. But we find from John, as he continues writing, that Jesus oversaw this. He entrusted the baptism to his disciples. In John 4, 1, we read, Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. So we see these ministries growing at different rates. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples were the ones doing it. So Jesus probably taught the crowds, and then after he would teach, the people would come forward and be baptized by his disciples. And his ministry is gaining momentum. It's getting larger. Verse 23, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. So although Jesus has begun his ministry of baptism, John the Baptist continues his primary ministry and we see that people continue to come to him for this baptism. And notice it says here that he chose a place of plenty of wa- with plenty of water. John the Baptist chose this location because of the amount of water that it held. The only reason you worry about the amount of space of water and water for baptism is if you have a large number of people. So we see that John the Baptist is still having lots of people. He is, he is successful and effective in his ministry. And this is a clue the author puts in there for us to let him know that, that John's ministry is still seeing amazing results. But John's going to speak to this in the coming verses. Notice that we have two mighty men here. We have John the Baptist We have Jesus, the Son of God. Both are active. Both are ministering out in the countryside. Both seeing growing response. Both seeing effectiveness. Their message and mission, people were showing up and responding. Notice they weren't in Jerusalem. They weren't in the temple. They, They weren't where many of the upstart movements began. They weren't in there. They left the city folk and went to the countryside. And if anyone wanted to come to Jesus... For baptism. If anyone wanted to, to get there and hear his message and respond, they would have to leave wherever they currently were and travel. Not by train, not by car, but by foot. I mean, you're walking a half day or a day to go hear a preacher preach. And I know you guys are all for that. I mean, I know, right? Right? No, I know. And they're walking a half day just to go hear a sermon. The amount of inconvenience and effort that that would require somebody is lost on us. They would have to leave work, leave town, pack up, and go to the Judean countryside just just to hear Jesus preach, to hear his message. This is foreign to us. I mean, let's be honest. For many of us, uh, the inconvenience of coming here is enough to keep us away. This is easy to skip over, but I want us to pause and consider something. A few things about what it takes to pursue Jesus in his ministry. People left the comfort of their home to go find Jesus. They left the comfort of their hometown to go find Jesus. 
they traveled. They didn't stay in their normal routine and just yearn, oh, I wish Jesus would just show up right here. I wish he would just show up at my work. These, these, when they sought spiritual growth and change, they had to leave their routine. And I want to challenge you on something. I'm going to challenge you to be a seeker. Now, the word seeker has been dragged through the mud in church circles, but here's what I mean by this. It's someone who seeks and pursues the presence of God, who seeks encounters with God. Be somebody who's willing to leave your routine and pursue and seek wherever God is moving. I'm just going to tell you something. You're never too mature. You're never too old. You're never too saved to stop being a seeker of God's presence. We should all pursue God. In fact, encountering God in your life is the greatest, most life-changing thing we could ever have. Those moments are so sacred. A moment when, when your humanity encounters his divinity and it clarifies, it convicts, it inspires. There's nothing like it in the world, truly. You know, when was the last time you had an encounter with God? When your spirit was stirred in zeal? When your heart was moved with passion? When was the last time you had a true encounter with, with God? When your mind was, was captivated by wonder and your emotions were awakened to that sacred and hallowed moment? Where you had those? your humanity, and his divinity. When were you last moved spiritually? When were, you, when were you last heartbroken by the sin in your life? When were you last stirred to make a mark in this world? When, when were you last thrilled by God to, and inspired? When was your soul quickened by the divine presence of, of God Almighty? You see, in God, encountering God's presence in prayer in worship, maybe in a quiet, a quiet moment of reading his word or on a mountain peak as you sit and wonder, not at the creation, but at the creator or in a Christ-centered conversation with another believer. Those moments, they seem so rare in our lives, but they are available. They are available. The person who sees the beauty from the, from the mountain peak, they made the hike to go see that. The person who got baptized here in John 3 would have to travel and make the trek to go to Jesus. The person who would lay their sin down at the cross made the journey to the foot of it. The person whose heart was warmed by the fire of God's presence was drawn by the blaze. For many of us, we, need to, we just need to admit something. And this, is hard, this was hard. We need to admit that our normal routine is the very thing perhaps holding us back from fresh encounters with God. Our normal routine is holding us back from fresh encounters with God. We scheduled a new encounter with God out of our life. Now, let's be honest. He's God. He can interject with his presence at any moment, right? And he does. He did it with Paul and many others. And, and he probably maybe did it with you at salvation. If you had that moment where maybe you were at a camp or a seminar or wherever you were, maybe in this very room or in your, in your living room, and, and God's presence met you there and, and, and you prayed for salvation. There are moments where he does that. But even when Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul didn't like stay there in that place and build a house or build a church. No, no, Paul from that moment on became a seeker of God's presence. 
Paul pursued moments with God. Here's an allegory of a man. An allegory of a man who's traveling through a dark forest. And he's lost. All he has is this pathway. And he's troubled. He has no idea where he's going. But up ahead he sees the, the flicker of some amber lights on the tree canopy. And he goes forward and sees that there's this, there's this fire there. Right in the middle of the path, this fire. And he moves closer to it. And it warms him. It warms him not just physically. It warms his spirit in a way he never could have imagined. He's awakened to the flame as it, it awakens his, his heart, actually. He lays down next to it, and for the first time in a long time, this man on this journey has, has a night of rest like he's never had before. The next day, he doesn't want to leave. Why would you leave the fire? He stays there, and he vows that he, he will never leave, and he builds a, a shelter there next to it. And for a month, every day, he's warmed by the fire and falls asleep and wakes up to it. And until one day, one morning he awakes and the fire is gone. He looks everywhere. He looks around the, the path where he is and he can't find it. But, but there etched in the path is an arrow drawn pointing ahead on the path. And the words, seek me. Now this man has, has two choices. He can stay where he is. He could just stay there and, and he can... He can ponder and remember the warmth of that moment. Oh, you know, he can, maybe another traveler comes down the path and he can reminisce about those days with the fire. Just how warm it was, how great it was. But he's not leaving. And in fact, he becomes a settler. He settles down. This, this, this was where he was awakened. This is where he first felt the fire. He sets up a life here. He, he builds a house. And anyone who travels on this path, well, they get to stop there and hear about the fire that at one point had been a part of this man's life. And some might even stop and hope, hope it returns. That's what he could do. He could become a settler. Or he could lace up his boots and follow the sign. Pursuing the warmth of the light he experienced, pushing, pushing out in faith and risking, leaving, leaving behind what he had known and the, what he had built. And the allegory isn't, isn't perfect, but it does ask some good questions. Are you settling in some places where you once experienced God? Have you settled? Have you stopped seeking? Perhaps you came to salvation decades ago, a week ago, whenever you had your spiritual awakening or maybe a reawakening. And it was astounding to you. And, you. and you soaked it in. You felt the fire and the passion, the life of that. But maybe over the course of weeks or months or years, that fire waned. The passion drained. The same zeal you had once had, you didn't have anymore. And we have a, we have a choice. To look to the horizon and spiritually pursue or settle. Let our faith stay where it is. Reminisce over the good old days. Man, remember those days where we were just, oh, we're feeling it. Sadly, many of us have a faith that never grew beyond our first encounter. We've settled. Some of us have a faith that never grew beyond our baptism or beyond that conference or beyond that retreat or beyond that moment. And we woke up one morning and the passion wasn't there as much. The fire had gone. And instead of seeking, we settled. 
instead of following, we, we went back to our routine. This is not telling you to work harder for Jesus. This is just practical. You see, in Jesus' time, they, they had to actually go to him. Now, we have the Spirit of God. We don't have to physically go to Jesus. But we are still called to pursue Jesus. We're called to step out in faith beyond our comfort zone. We're, we're called to, to follow him into areas that are challenging, that are convicting, inspiring, rewarding. Here's a question. Are you still actively pursuing God? Are you actively pursuing God? Are you leaving your normal routine to pursue him? Are you making room in your schedule to encounter him? This is practical and easy. It's as easy as turning off the radio or the podcast on the way to work or as you travel and instead praying verbally out loud, communicating conversationally with him and, and then listening. It's as practical as putting down your phone to make some room for, for God to speak to your life in those moments. It's leaving your normal comfort zone routine and, and trying something new. You see, here's the, here's the reality, is that the busyness of our lives speeds us through our day past the prompts that he gives us. You ever gotten to the end of the day and you're like, how did that happen so fast? The busyness of our life will take us through a day so quickly we pass the prompts that he would give us. The noise of our society from every direction it can drown out the whisper of God's voice to our heart. The concerns of our culture and the worries that are around us can take up so much headspace that we don't ponder and pray. See, the first growth gate of spiritual maturity is this. Pursue God and venture out to seek new encounters with him. Pursue God and venture out to seek new encounters with him. Find moments in your day of silence to listen. Find, carve out moments of stillness to encounter him. And I know, I don't have time for that is what we say, but, but if we're honest, the one thing we can control is our priorities. We make time for that, which means the most. And so it's to, we don't have to travel to the countryside. We don't have to travel out of town to a calm countryside, but we may need to intentionally carve out some calm, carve out some stillness, carve out some silence, and make space for God to encounter us in our day. Back to John 3.23. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing near Ainon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and the people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. And a debate broke out between John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came back to John the Baptist and said, Rabbi, the man you met, met with on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, it's Jesus, he's also baptizing people. And everybody's going to him instead of us. A debate broke out between John the Baptist's disciples and a certain Jew. Now in the book of John, whenever he talks about the Jews or Jew, he's talking about the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the priests, the religious elite, and here was one of those religious leaders who started a, a debate with John the Baptist's disciples about ceremonial religious cleansing. Now, there's much debate on this about who this is. 
Because earlier in this very chapter, we, heard, we, we met one of these people named Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus and learned that in order to be saved for salvation, you don't need to ceremonially cleanse, you need to be born again. And some believe that Nicodemus was so struck by this message of being born again that he went to John the Baptist's disciples and said, why are you even baptizing anymore? There's no need for ceremonial cleansing. Like over there across the river, that's where salvation is. It could be. It could be. It could also be a Pharisee trying to spark some com competition and conflict between these two big movements who were taking people out of the tabernacle and, and away from their control. We don't know. But we know that John the Baptist's disciples were painfully obvious of the fact that more baptisms were now happening over there when we were the ones that were doing this and everyone was coming here at one point. Their competitive nature bristled at this and they, they began to go, they came to the rabbi, John the Baptist. Like he can, he can set us straight. He's gonna tell us. Rabbi, the one who identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people and everyone's going to him instead of, instead of coming to us. And listen to John the Baptist's response. He replied, listen, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. He's saying all my ministry, anybody who comes to me is from God. God gives it to me. So you yourselves know plainly, I told you, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to prepare the way for the Messiah. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride. The bridegroom's best friend, the best man, he's simply happy to stand there and hear the vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must increase, and I must decrease. John the Baptist's response to his disciples' competitive question is this. I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to prepare the way for, for him. And he's here. His name's Jesus. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. Jesus must increase, and I must de decrease. Six simple words that can take a lifetime to live out. Six simple words that would say, my way, my mission, myself must decrease. And that Jesus' way, Jesus' mission, Jesus in me must increase. John the Baptist in this sentence sums up spiritual growth for me. Because people ask me, how, how do I grow spiritually? And it, for me, it's very simple, almost too simple. Spiritual growth is increased dependence on God, period. Spiritual maturity, spiritual growth is increased dependence on God. That's our second growth grade of maturity, which can sound very simple, but, but if we look at our American culture, if we look at our culture, our hearts, we, we celebrate independence. We love independence. We strive for independence. We bristle when independence is messed with. So when spiritual growth is increased dependence, there are some times where we resist this. The mark of increased physical maturity is increased physical independence. We get that. The mark of increased spiritual maturity is increased spiritual dependence. You see, it's seeing, it's knowing, it's understanding more and more that I need God to show up in my life. It's seeing that my character, for my character to grow, I need to depend on God more and more as a man. For my marriage to flourish, I need to depend on God more and more as a husband. 
for my kids' hearts to thrive, I need to depend on God more and more as a dad. For my, to be a better pastor, I need to de- depend more and more on God as a leader. It's re- recognizing everywhere in my life and anywhere in my life where I'm relying on my purpose and my power, it's going to end in some frustration for me. And now all areas of my life, the more I'm connecting with God's power and God's purpose, the greater the spiritual growth. Some of the hardest days of my life, some of the most difficult days of my life have been coming face to face to the fact that my own purpose and my own power didn't get me where I hoped they would. And even harder is when they took me where I didn't want to be. Have you ever tried it your way, your power, your purpose, and ended up somewhere you didn't want to? Have you ever gotten to the end of yourself, to that fear or that frustration? Have you ever seen how your own purpose can lead you to an empty place or how your power can lead to empty results? The second growth gate for spiritual maturity is to know that spiritual growth is increased dependence on God, his power, and his purpose, that we need it more than we even know. Personally, in my character, and for my purity. Relationally, relationally for my friendships, for my marriage, for my family, for, my, for all these relationships, professionally, in leading, and, and for working. The more I realize that I need God's power and purpose in my life in these areas, the more I experience spiritual growth. If you want to grow spiritually, I've seen no other path than increased dependence on God. Sometimes it's through hard circumstances we learn that. Sometimes it's through beauty that we learn that. John the Baptist, his disciples were competitive and jealous of Jesus and his ministry. And in, in verse 31, John the Baptist continues to reveal to them who Jesus is and why this is important. John continues, he's come from, he's come from above. He's greater than anyone else. Listen, we're from the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he's come from heaven as greater than anyone. Jesus testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts Jesus' testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's word and God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life but remain under God's angry judgment. And here's, here's the point. There's an important principle here in what John the Baptist just did that I think is an important challenge for us when it comes to spiritual growth. John's disciples were not happy that people were going to Jesus and, the, and that they were becoming less important. But let's be clear. John the Baptist, his disciples, they're they're good people. They've left their life to come follow this prophet of God. It says that John the Baptist ate locusts. They're probably eating locusts for the cause. They love God. They're dedicated to God. But when Jesus began to to rise above them in ministry, uh, just a little bit of their selfishness was revealed in this. I bet they went and talked about this with one another before John the Baptist. Like, can you believe it? Like, we used to be the guys. Now, look at Peter and John over there. I bet they had that where they went and talked about it. You know, they got worked up, and then they they take it to John the Baptist, and they hope that he would set things right, and he does. 
but not in the way they wanted. See, John the Baptist here says what needed to be said. They brought their selfishness and jealousy to somebody who, had the, who was honest and who had the courage enough to tell them the truth. He loved them and had the courage to tell them the truth. This is, this is an important example for us. John the Baptist shows the power of community, of community with people who are courageous, who will tell us the truth. Because if we're surrounded by people who love our gossip and, and who love to spark gossip in us, if we're surrounded by people who encourage our selfishness, Listen, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't cheer on your marriage, but actually maybe sides with you against your spouse, if we're friends with the people who, who don't call us on our weakness, we're going to miss out on some vital growth and perhaps make some decisions that we'll regret. John the Baptist was approached by people who loved God, but who, who brought selfishness to him. And what did he do? What did he actually do simply? He pointed them to Jesus. That's what he did. He said, that man, that Jesus, that Savior, that Messiah, not me, him. He said, look, there's the one to follow. There's the one to give your life to. That's who I'm giving my life to. And we need to catch this. We, we need friends like this. We need friends like this. We need growth group leaders like this. We need mentors like this. We need church family who will do this. And this is the third growth gate for spiritual maturity. Surround yourself with people that love you enough to be honest with you and who will point you to Jesus. That through difficult seasons like we've been through, in and through difficulty, when there's so much to be afraid or frustrated about, that will point you, to, that love you enough to courageously point to what matters most. That in our character, we'll have the courage to love those enough to point to Jesus. In our marriages, that, that we'll have friends who love us enough that will inspire us and challenge us to go back to our spouse and do whatever it takes by pointing to Jesus. That in our work, we'll have people who are willing to challenge us that that coworker or that boss we just struggle with, that we will go and love God and love people at work Point to Jesus. John the Baptist's greatest gift in the Bible, what he consistently did time after time after time, he pointed to Jesus. And he was called great in the eyes of God. And John the Baptist loved his disciples enough to courageously tell them the truth. For many of us, we're looking to go deeper in our faith. I hope we're here to, to find spiritual growth to put down deeper roots into God's word and to God's ways. And these three principles from today's message are vital. The first one, to pursue God and venture out and seek new encounters with him. To make room in your schedule to encounter God and take risks to hear his prompts throughout the day and then say yes. And here's the truth. If you're content in your faith, you're coasting, and you only coast one direction, downhill. If you're content, you're not getting stronger and more mature. So step out of your routine and seek him in a new way. Number two, 
From John 3, we learn, know that spiritual growth is increased dependence on God, that your character, that your relationships and your pursuits will be transformed as you increasingly depend on his power and his purpose for your heart and your life. That spiritually, I must decrease and he must increase. And lastly, surround yourself with people that love you enough to be honest with you and point you to Jesus. Ask yourself, are you a friend like John the Baptist? Not just do I have those friends, are you a friend like John the Baptist? Do you encourage gossip or godliness in people who, get, who come to you? When people come to you, do you encourage their selfishness or their selflessness? Like the disciples when they came to Jesus, do you, do you encourage people's jealousy or did you point them to Jesus? Spiritual growth and maturity is something that, that as a church orchard, we're gonna pursue I want anyone and everyone who comes into contact with us in our ministry to hear about Jesus, the main thing, and come to salvation in him, but I don't want us to stop there ever. Because between the time when you meet Jesus in your heart on earth and you meet Jesus face to face in heaven, that's where spiritual growth and maturity comes in. And we're gonna pursue this as a church. Spiritual growth in your life is not something that I can do for you. Spiritual growth is not something that your spouse or your friend's faith can, can do for you. It truly is something between you and God. So take some time this week, if you would, and go back through these growth gates and see if you have these kind of friends. If you are this kind of friend, maybe ask God where he wants you to step out and try something new to encounter him, to seek him in a new way. Let's put some spiritual roots down this year. As we take out communion, if you would, we're gonna thank Jesus for all that he has done for us. Open the bread. The symbol of his body. And as you take it out, just hold it up. And if you can, break it. His body was broken for us. Say, Jesus, thank you for your broken body take and eat. If you open the symbol of Jesus' blood shed for us, you know, I know that many of us to, on days like this may be tuning in or here because we need hope. Maybe freedom from, a, from addiction or vice. Maybe forgiveness. We want to know forgiveness from some things. This is the symbol of his blood, the sacrifice that declares freedom, forgiveness, to take and drink. One thing, Orchard, I want us to pursue as a church is to become worshipers of Jesus. And I don't know, I don't know your, this often depends on your background and experience, how you engage in the music we have here. I, I understand that. But I want, I want the music to be a distant last compared to what the actual moment is. It's your heart declaring your love to a God who's good and worthy. And so maybe as we talk about stepping out and pursuing and seeking in new ways, maybe in this song, you choose to do that. You step out and you worship in a way that you, you take a risk. And you don't worry how good your voice sounds to that person next to you or how bad it sounds to that person next to you because it's about how your, your heart sounds to God. 
So in this song, I want you to, to worship from your heart to him. As the words are sung and as you say them, may it be a prayer from your life. And let's step out and seek and pursue a new way right now in this song. Amen.